That certainly is a, uh, a song that uh, compels you, draws you into worship, doesn't it? And it kind of just, it's a good thing, but just kind of drains you. We, Don and I were talking, just, just singing about the power of Christ. In Christ we stand, Christ we live. Amen. We're going to read in just a couple of moments from um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and so you can uh, go ahead and find your way there if you would like. And, and so uh, I was thinking about uh, uh, something that occurred in my life that's occurring in years, and it was uh, 42 years ago. I uh, graduated from high school, and I sat where all of you graduates are sitting, and during the morning worship, just like we have done this morning, my pastor asked me to come forward. I said, Charlie, and called my name, so I went forward, stood in front of the church, and on behalf of the congregation, he gave me uh, this set of books, and uh, Psalms, and gospel, Gospels, Proverbs, and Ten Commandments for Graduates. And so they gave me, on behalf of the church, a set of books, which I've kept and read through some of those from time to time, and then uh, prayed with me. And, uh, and so I was, as I was preparing for this with you all, I went back in my mind and still remember that, and so I called him. And, uh, and uh, I still stay in touch with him. He was my pastor where I grew up in Michigan. His name is Dwight, and so I I called, called. He's, he has some dementia issues and in his mid-80s, and, and I love him, love him dearly. And his wife, Brenda, answered the phone, and I started talking. She said, is this Charlie? And I said, yeah, this is Brenda. And, and so we put it on speakerphone. I got to talk to, uh, to Dwight. And at the time, uh, he was 40 years old when he was pastoring that church when I was graduating, and I thought he was old. And today, I'm 60, which means all of you must view me as really old. And I can tell you, I don't feel old, nor consider myself that way, but I certainly understand how, how I must be perceived by all of you. The fact is, my life and all of your lives are at very different stages, because the greater part of your life is still in front of you by God's grace. The greater part. And the greater part of my life is behind me. Somebody told me this year I hit the fourth quarter. And uh, I said, well, I hope I got a little bit of a playoff run in me on top of the fourth quarter. So maybe things will go into overtime. But I want to share some thoughts with you from Scripture. Um, hopefully that will resonate with you a little bit to encourage you, maybe to cause you to think. And, and my aim is pretty high. My, my prayer is that God would speak to you. And speak to all of us through his spirit that we would hear him. And there's three things I want to share with you and uh, to encourage you. And if you'll indulge me, uh, uh, we'll look at those three things in just a moment from the text. But I want to just share a couple personal things uh, before we look to the text. And I, I certainly don't know all of you. Um, I, tell, I tell guys... Young guys, when they're preparing to go become pastors, so when you go to pastor a church from the very first Sunday, you become their preacher, but you don't become their pastor. 
you become their pastor over a period of time through building relationships and going things with you. And so um, I've not had the opportunity to be there like Don shared at when you were born or uh, to go through scripture with you when you uh, made your first commitment to Christ and gave your life to the Lord. It wasn't there to pray with you, to baptize you. It wasn't there to go to ball games, do anything like that, be attend events in your life, and uh, all on and on, go to camps, certain things. So, uh, but I wanna, I just wanted to tell you, um, I genuinely care about you. I really do, and I wish you the very, very best for your future. And I want you to know that in the future, if you ever need a listening ear or need someone just to sit with you and you need some counsel, my door will always be open. I want to, I want to tell you that. And second, I was thinking about your high school graduation. This is kind of a, a rite of passage of sorts. And, and now you're in a position to try and determine what's next. And so kind of up to this point in your life, everything's been pretty much prescribed for you. You, you, you know, you have some choices, but pretty much things are prescribed and, and you go with this. But now the first, first time you have some decisions to make. And I want to share with you an observation and a word of advice. The observation is very few of your peers at this stage of their journey have any idea what they're going to do next. There are a few, but, but not very many. And then the ones who say things like, I'm going to go to John Hopkins University or MIT or Berkeley or Juilliard or all those kinds of things to study and prepare for a career in neurosurgery or cellular and molecular biology or biomedical engineering or aeronautical engineering. And you hear things that the reality is that most of them don't really end up doing those things. If you haven't figured that out yet, even though they say that when they're 17 and 18, and then many who do go away and start those things don't finish, and many come home and end up doing something else. I've, I've observed that over and over the last 40 years, and so this is my advice, and I think it's good advice, and it's free. Uh, be honest with yourself about your future. And it's okay to be honest. If you aren't sure what you're going to do, I want to tell you you're not alone. There's very few people at 17 or 18 years of age who've got it mapped out and know what they're going to be doing. Second, it may be good that you don't know what you're going to be doing. And the reason I say that is as you go through a process of trying to figure things out for the future, God may actually work through that time to draw you closer to him. Because as we said, Jesus said, if you will uh, ask, you'll receive from me. If you'll seek me, I, you will find me. And if you knock, I will open doors for you. And so perhaps you not knowing everything about your future is a good thing because it will compel you to spend time with the Lord for him to begin to work in your life. And finally, the most important thing I would say to you is just to continue to abide in Christ. Do the things, if, if you're not sure about what to do, just do the things that you know you should do and the things that God wants you to do and then it takes all the pressure off you in a way to try to figure things out. If you'll just surrender your life to Christ and say, God, I'm yours. I'll do whatever you want me to do. You put all the pressure on him. 
It's his responsibility to show you what to do. And it just kind of takes it off. And he's, he's faithful. He has a way of directing your step and opening doors. You remember Jesus, or the Bible says, in all of your ways, acknowledge God and he will direct your steps, direct your paths. So uh, after that, go with me to, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to invite you to read a couple of verses of scripture with me. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. For all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness that the man of God, the person, woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me pray. Father, in these next few moments, we pray that your spirit would do what only you can do, and that is for you to minister your word to us, and that God, that you would bring forth faith in us for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The setting for this letter is Paul, as he writes this, is sitting in a prison cell. He had preached all over the Roman world. He had led hundreds, perhaps thousands, to faith in Christ. He had planted churches. He had discipled, trained all of these new Christians and raised up leaders in the church. And he had gone through unimaginable hardship and suffering. And so here he is in this prison cell, perhaps in his mid to late 60s, locked up in a holding cell in a dark, damp basement under harsh conditions. Winter is coming, and the cell has no heat, and he's cold, and he realizes, very much aware, that his life has run its course. His life is about to end for Listen to this in 2 Timothy, just two chapters over in chapter 4, starting at verse 6. This is what he writes. This is his realization about his life. He said, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is present. It is at hand. He's referring to his death. My life has been poured out. It's about to end. I have fought the good fight. 
I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all, to all who have loved his appearing. He realizes it's all about over. He writes to Timothy this letter in that setting, this elder pastor to this younger apprentice, and he makes a request in the text, and he says, Timothy, can you come? Can you get here? Only Luke is with me, but I feel pretty alone, and I, Timothy, in these last hours and days of my life, I'd, I'd like for you to come. I'd like for you to come quickly, and if you would, when you come, would you remember to bring a cloak? Would you remember to bring a coat for me because it's cold? And perhaps, intending to write some more letters, he asks him, Timothy, if it's not too much trouble, can you bring me the parchments? And so here is this elder pastor is pass, passing on the leadership baton to Timothy and then shortly after putting pen to parchment and sending forth this letter to Timothy, Roman soldiers come in, open the doors, remove him from his cell, remove the chains and execute him in a public forum. And so the context of what we've read is this old guy says to the young guy, there's some things I want to pass along to you. There's some things I hope that you'll remember. And he says three things in the text. And the first is, Timothy, I want you to pick out and follow Pick out for yourself and follow godly examples in your life. Look at verse 10 and 11. Paul says, Timothy, you have, you have, and that's in the, referring to the past tense. He said, you have followed my manner of life. You've imitated my lifestyle. You've followed my example. And he adds the word carefully. You've carefully, you have carefully followed my manner of life. And then he lists some things in which Timothy had copied from Paul. He said, you have followed my doctrine, my teaching, my instruction. He said, you have, in the text, he said, you followed my purpose. And we know, love in Philippians 3, verses 8 through 11, Paul said, and this is the purpose of my life, to, to increase in my knowledge of Christ and somehow that I might continue to know him and the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings that I might glorify Christ. That was his purpose. Timothy had adopted that. And he said, you've also carefully imitated and followed. And he lists some things. My faith, you followed my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance. You've gone through all some all these same persecutions in your life. And so what he's saying here is Timothy had learned some things in his life from being around and watching the apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ or follow me as I follow Christ. And Timothy had done that very thing. He, was, he had learned from this role model, from this godly example, God. And he said, Timothy, as you 
followed all this. He said, I want you to remember that God has been faithful and God has always delivered me and brought me through everything. I would propose to you that Timothy had made a choice. Timothy had made a decision and his decision at an early age was he had determined, he had driven some stakes in the ground, some markers to live for Jesus, to follow Paul's example in his life. He decided that's how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to emulate the apostle Paul. I'm going to imitate his purpose. And even if I go through the same hardships and all of the other things, I, I want to be like him. Do you think he had other options? I think he probably did. There's probably some other things he could have done. Look at the same chapter, if you have your Bible. Look at the first five verses. I want to read this. This kind of gives some insights on there was some other options. Timothy, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come Many around you will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to their parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, lacking self-control. They'll be brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, stubborn, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And they'll have a form of godliness, but deny in its power, and from such people turn away. I would propose to you, he had determined to emulate Paul's life, to live for Christ, but he had some other options, and the other option was to live an, an ungodly life. It was an option to live an ungodly life. Paul describes it. The ungodly life in those first five verses is characterized by one thing. An ungodly life will be characterized by selfishness and self-centeredness. And it's pretty easy to do. The ungodly life is the fleshly life with little to no regard for Jesus. The things that Paul uses there, those words those characteristics to describe this ungodly life, this selfish, self-centered life, he describes it as a, as a moral sewer. Look at verses 2 through 4. There are three general descriptions. And if you want to write these, you can. Lovers, he says, lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. You see all three of those, lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. It's the ungodly life. It's where self is at the center. Think about someone who loves themselves is a narcissist. Do you know any? They're narcissistic. Everything about them is them. <laughs> it's all about me, my needs, my wants, my table, timetable. Everyone in their life exists for them. They're narcissists. Lovers of self. Then there's someone who loves money. It's the materialist. The materialist. It's all about money and it's all about stuff and things. It's like the rich fool that Jesus describes in 
John, Luke's gospel were, who always needs something newer, something bigger, something better, something more. And what did Jesus say about the rich fool? What a fool. Laid up bigger barns, acquired much, he said, but think about this. Tonight, when your soul is required of you, whose stuff will all this be? Materials. And then there's the lover of pleasure. The lover of pleasure is the hedonist. The hedonists, and everything in their life is about how they feel, how things make them feel, emotions and feelings and desires. And so lovers of self, the narcissist, lovers of wealth, the materialist, lovers of pleasure, the hedonist. And the result of all of that ungodliness and the self-centeredness that all of that stems from, he says in this text, the, the, the bottom line, the outcome of all of that is not only does it distance you and keep you from God, is it corrupts relationships. It corrupts relationships. It'll cause trouble in relationships. Look at verses 2 through 4, because all of these things here that he describes are contrary to having a relationship with God, and they're all contrary to having healthy relationships with other people. Just let me just point these out. Think about how these hinder relationships. Someone who boasts, someone who is proud, disobedience to parents, somebody who is unthankful, somebody who is unholy, somebody who is unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, headstrong, haughty. All of that will produce great problems in relationships especially in a relationship with God, but it's the ungodly life. It's the self-centered life. And the reality is, is all of you and all of us have the same choice as Timothy. We can either choose to live a godly life and set our sights on godly role models and who help us to emulate Christ, or we can choose an ungodly life. And I would propose that if you don't choose the godly life, then you have chosen the ungodly life, because, and the ungodly life is really pretty easy. It's really easy to live an ungodly life. I think our culture, our society values independence and freedom and authenticity and there's so many people who think they're doing their own thing and being very unique and authentic living an ungodly life and I would just say to you there's nothing authentic about an ungodly life you don't choose it it'll choose you it's the natural path it's the road that we're all on apart from the gospel So the fact is, if you choose not to live for Christ in a godly life and not to follow Christ, then all of those descriptions will characterize your life and relationships. I want to encourage you, regardless of your school choice or your career path or your vocation, more than what you do or where you go, I would ask you to consider being the kind of person that God calls you to be and to pick out good role models. Emulate those persons in your life who have modeled Jesus for you. Imitate their character, their purpose, and then leave everything else up to God. Augustine once wrote, the most important thing is just to love God and then do what you want. 
Now you think about that. Now some people could uh, misinterpret that. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then just do what you want. There's some truth, pretty, pretty profound truth in that. Second, Paul's Timothy to remember in verses 14 through 16 to be faithful to God's word. And I would ask you just as you determine whether or not you're going to live a godly life and emulate godly role models, also to make a decision about what you believe this book is. Make a decision. What, what is this? Is this God's revealed word or is it something else? Is it just literature? I was raised in church, grew up in Sunday school like many of you, and my mom in, in the evenings would, before bedtime would sit down with my sister and my brother and pretty consistent and had these Bible encyclopedias, and some of you have no idea what an encyclopedia is, but it was a Bible encyclopedia books, and it had pictures in it. And so my mom would sit with Sharon, my sister, and my younger brother, Mike, and she would read these Bible stories and saw all these pictures, and she would begin to read. And, and so I grew up knowing some basics and about Bible stories, and I could tell you about the first man and the first woman, and I knew about the, the serpent, the snake, and what happened in, in the Garden of Eden. And I could tell you a little bit about Moses and a little bit about Joseph and Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and just knew a lot of Bible stories and knew some stories about Jesus and some other things. And so I had some familiarity with God's Word, but in the spring of 1980, I graduated in 79, and it wasn't until the spring of 1980, at the age of 19, that for the first time, the very first time in my life that I ever remember reading my Bible myself. Never read it. Raised in church, my mom read it, taught us, and I'm thankful. But I think my, my mother saw some things going on in my life when I turned 18 and graduated high school and was very concerned. And so she gave me this Bible. And inside, this is what she wrote. Charles, my prayer is that you will study, learn the scriptures, and follow God's calling on your life. Always remember David. As a young lad, he trusted, tried, and proved God when he slew Goliath. As a grown man, he wandered out of God's plan, but always found his way back to God's way, and God used him greatly in his service. And then she lists a bunch of scripture passages. Colossians 1, about the supremacy of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1, about the wisdom that God promises to give. 1 Corinthians 12, about being connected to the body. Romans 12, 1 and 2, surrendering your life to Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't be unequally yoked. doesn't say this, but I know what these are about. And Lord bless me in that department. Ephesians 5, husbands and wives. Ephesians 6, spiritual warfare. Then all kinds of scriptures from First and Second Timothy. And so, 
tell you that story to make a point. When I started reading my Bible for the first time in my life, I didn't realize it at the time, but God began to speak to me. Do you remember in John chapter 10 where Jesus says, my sheep know me and my sheep know my voice? And I didn't, was 19 years of age and I didn't know his voice. And it took me a while, but as I began to read his word, I began to recognize God's voice and he began to speak to me. And, and I'm so thankful for that. In the fall of the same year, uh, 1990, I went through a crisis, and not only did I start reading God's Word, but in the fall of that year, having gone through this crisis, I made a decision that I was going to believe the Bible, and I was going to learn it. I wasn't pursuing being a pastor. I was just started going back to church and got connected in my church, but I was going to read His Word. I was going to learn it, and I made a decision that, God, I'm going to do whatever you say to do in your Word. And I've never looked back. And I will tell you this, it's not always been easy. Anybody, anybody who tells you that living the Christian life is easy, it is a lie. It's a lie. It'll be easy if you compromise. It'll be easy if you straddle the fence. It'll be easy if all of your Christian life consists of is going to church for an hour on Sunday morning. Then yeah, it's pretty easy. But if you get into the Word and you abide in Christ, what happens is the Holy Spirit, God will start speaking to you and He'll start making some demands upon your life and then you've got a decision. Am I going to submit to Christ and lay it all down for Him or am I going to just go through the rest of my days straddling the fence, living a half-hearted, half lukewarm Christian life? And so any, it's, it's not designed to be easy. Carrying a cross was not supposed to be easy. Jesus dying on a cross for our sins and going through all that he went through was not easy. But I will tell you this, it's, it's been amazing to know fellowship with God, to lay down it in bed at night and having a sense of peace and knowing the joy of the Lord and the presence of the Lord and seeing the way he's blessed relationships and blessed our family and provided and been faithful. It's not been easy, but it's been good. It's been good. Paul reminds Timothy in verse 14, he says, but you, in, in contrast to those he was describing in verse 13, if you see in verse 13, he talks about those who are living ungodly lives, who are deceived and deceiving others. And he says, but you, contrasting to that, which means these people who are deceived and are deceiving others, they don't even know it. That's why they're deceived. They, they don't get it. But he says, but you, Timothy, continue in the truth. And notice what he says to Timothy regarding this truth. In verses 14 through 16, he says, remember who taught you. Remember your instruction that you received starting at an early age, ever since childhood. Who did he learn from? Well, we know that Paul learned from his mother, his mom Eunice, and his grandmother Lois. They were Jewish. They taught him the scriptures. And he says, so remember those who taught you. Remember those things that you were taught, the scriptures. Stay with the things that you're sure of because there's going to be plenty of things in life that you aren't sure of. Stay with what you're sure of. Stay with the word, he says, that led to your salvation. 
Stay with the word, he says in verse 17, that will also bring you to sanctification, growth and godliness and usefulness to God. And then one of the great faith summaries in the Bible about Scripture, all of the Bible, all Scripture is inspired by God and is beneficial, is profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and training in righteousness that the man, the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. The Bible is profitable. It's God's word. It's inspired. God breathed. God breathed. God worked through human, inst- human instrumentation, human personality, breathed his word, sometimes in a dictatorial way. Like in Jeremiah, he said, I put my words in your mouth. And Jeremiah wrote, as he, the Bible says that he was dictated to. And then there's other examples where God somehow mysteriously worked through human person. But it, he reveals his word about himself about his purposes for our life, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Doctrine is instruction, teaching. It's referring to content, the content of the word. Reproof means to rebuke and correct through conviction. And so when we get out of line, when we're in sin, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sin, to correct, to correct us, to make us aware of it. And then to, to correct means to restore us. God wants to work through his word to bring us to our, to his intention for our life, to a right spiritual condition with the Father, training in righteousness so that we know how to live, know how to live for anything that God intends for us. I'll, I hope that all of you, all of us will like the wise men. You remember Jesus describes in Matthew 7, he says, I will liken a man who hears my words and obeys my words. I will liken him to a wise man who builds his life upon my word, upon the rock. And when the storms of life come, his life will stand strong, stand firm. Finally, realize that if you determine to live a godly life, and if you determine to pick out godly role models and you determine to be faithful to his word, realize this last, you're going to be different. You're going to be different. Verse 12 really is a pretty amazing promise in this text. All, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus are going to suffer. Does that sound appealing? (laughs) If you live a godly life, if you live for Jesus, you will be different. You're going to be different. You're going to be different from the world. Listen how the apostle Peter describes it. He said, you will be a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people that you will proclaim his praises. You're going to be different. Living for Jesus will make you different. Different perspectives, different values, different characteristics, different loves. Living for Jesus doesn't make us better than people. It just makes us different. Just forgiven with purpose and with love for God, love for others, living a life of uh, on mission for God. And he says the result of being different, 
he said, will be persecution. Now, I've been in places of the world where living a godly life for Christ Jesus would result in physical persecution. Physical persecution. In our context here in northeast Mississippi, the suffering is going to be more soft persecution. Soft persecution in the form that if you live for Jesus and you live a godly life, then you may be criticized and you may be rejected and you will certainly lose popularity. Popularity. And can, can I just say about that whole thing about trying to be popular? All that does is put you into bondage. You're so consumed and fearful with what everybody's going to think about you and how you're going to appear and wanting everybody like it just it just enslaves you. It it just strips you of all of your freedom and independence to be who God wants you to be. And yet there's many Christians who want to be popular. It may result in you feeling lonely on occasions, or it may result in some former friends kind of pushing you away because you you make them uncomfortable because you don't do certain things that you used to do or certain things that they do. And so living a godly life will make you different. And I want to point out a, a very important word in verse 12 regarding that promise. You see, you see the word desire? All those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, who desire, who, who decide to follow Jesus and to live for him and follow godly role models and to be faithful. And they have, a, they have a desire, a willingness to do that, a, a passion to do that. Listen, this, what Paul is writing to Timothy is more than moralism. The Christian life is not moralism. It's not, and, and, I, and, and I hear this sometimes, well, Brother Charlie, I know that I ought to do this, and I know that I should do that, and I know that I need to do that, and it's all moralistic stuff. And what's lacking in all of that is drive, passion, desire. You see, the gospel brings forth passion. The gospel brings forth desire. The gospel creates a sense of inward compulsion and drive and passion for Jesus. It's not, I ought to, shoulda, coulda, woulda. It's not, that's not gospel-centered. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, and he said, the love of Christ, the, the gospel of Christ, his love for me constrains me, it compels me, it grips me, it drives me. I'm a debtor to Christ. I'm, woe to me if I am not faithful to Christ. Woe to me if I don't minister the word. He's, he's compelled. He's compelled by desire and passion. And so this godly life will not come from moralistic thinking. This desire to live for Christ will come inwardly from the gospel as the Holy Spirit begins to produce new loves and new fruit and new desires in you where you just, you just, you just got to live for Christ. Where he grips your life, it constrains you, compels you. It concerns me when members within the body of Christ lack desire to live for Jesus. Deeply concerns me. And I could go off on a tangent with that one. Why we don't have enough teachers and 
Paul said, by now, most of you ought to be teachers. You ought to be teaching and instructing others. And he says, now, but you still want somebody to nurse you, to bottle feed you. You're still nursing on the basics of the word. And you've never matured. You, never, you, you, said, well, you should be teachers. We should have teachers coming out of our ears to serve in the nursery and the little kids and to invest in young people and adults, ministering lives, ministering the word. I, I don't understand this lack of desire and passion. I'm trying to beat you up. The challenge, this is Paul's challenge. He's, he's, he's passing along the baton. He's saying, Timothy, embrace the gospel. Embrace the gospel. Pick out godly role models who will help you to live for Christ. Be faithful to the word and be different. Be who God wants you to be. Do you, do you know who Jim Elliot was? Jim Elliot said, he is no fool. She is no fool who gives away that which they cannot keep in order to gain what they cannot lose. Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So in my closing word to you is to lose your life. Lose it. Give it away. God, I don't know what you can do with me, but God, I'm going to give it away. I want to just lose my life for you. And Jesus said, you'll find life. You'll find life. I invite you to pray with me.